So, uh, Rick Amorati, at one point today, I saw that Rory McIlroy was about six over, and the only thing I could think of is if he falls in the lake on 16, it'll be a perfect day. Where did he end up? Do we know? Yeah, he ended up tied with 11 other people at 61. He was awful today. He shot four over, and he actually hit his dad on a shot. I got I got news on that on the seventh hole. He's tied he for dad. 61st place, you mean? Yeah, 61st place. 61st. Tied with 11 other guys. Okay, wow. it, but uh, <laughs> shot plus four. Well, that, that's too bad. I thought it would be more like plus seven or eight, but yeah. I guess he rebounded a little bit. But, oh. yes, he did. He hit his own poor dad. <laughs> that's how much he sucks. I mean, he hit his own dad. Was it, a, it wasn't a, a crotch shot, was it? No, his no, dad no, was no. walking towards the green, which I guess he thought that Rory somehow could find. Uh, with his second <laughs> shot, but no, he found his right leg yep. with it instead. Unbelievable. And his caddy said to him, I think that was your dad. And he said, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I give him credit there. That was pretty funny that he, you know, you know, he was pretty good about it. But I mean, honestly, I don't know. I give him a hard time just because he gave the president a hard time. Yep. And it's kind of funny now. I just keep it going. But there's, you know, Rory's a great player. But it's just, it is, it is funny since he, he talked bad about Trump saying that he doesn't think he would want to play with him again. Right. He's, um, well, he hasn't played well He hasn't played all too well since no, then. His so, game is tanked. So we'll just see if we can just keep it going. <laughs> he, so. he, might, he might want to reach out to him and say, hey, do you mind if I come down to Mar-a-Lago? Maybe, yeah, let's, uh, let's play around in front of the yeah. camera so they can all see it so I can get my career back on track maybe. So, um <laughs> All right, live from Studio 6P on a Thursday. Glad you're in. Lots to do. Obviously, we'll spend a significant amount of the first hour on the theater today of uh, Joe Biden and his uh, gun-grabbing, unconstitutional, unenforceable, and as Charlie Cook put it, gun control theater that Biden took part of today. We'll play a small portion of what you need to hear, and then... I'm going to read you Charlie Cook's article today because I think it's right on the money. Uh, so we'll deal with that. Paul's off tonight. Rick Delgado's going to do the news. Rick Amorati will have sports. Fran and Gio here. Um, <clears throat> mercifully, no Harry Oates tonight, so we don't have to listen to his T-shirt requests and everything else. But um, Everybody's calling. They want, to, they want me to have a shirt. No, they don't have Yes, no, they don't. <laughs> I do I do like that, though. It's, it's that is bad. pretty funny. If you want to be a part of the show, LFS6P at Yahoo.com. And, of course, we're streaming on um, all of our social media at LFS6P, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Parler. Um, and, I don't know, we're streaming everywhere. So, just you can find us. Uh, glad you're in. Lots to do. So, I guess we'll just start. We should just start there. Um so Joe Biden was in the Rose Garden today. Not only did he appoint David Chipman um, to be the on something, I guess the ATF uh, director or whatever. You mean the AFT? Yeah, that. Yeah. He called it the ATF today, though. That's <laughs> you know that's why I called it that because that's what he called it, and he called it um, the Department of. He sounded like he may have had a little alcohol before he said the word alcohol, but I don't know. So going to change it to the Department of Bourbon and Trees and Food. Yeah. So let's just start with what he said. A couple things. We'll start on 41, G. This is the part about um, which Jen Psaki got questioned on, I think, later in the day on the briefing. But let's just start with what the president said. Uh, cut 41. Roll it. And today I'm announcing several initial steps my administration is taking to curb this epidemic of gun violence. 
Much more need be done, but the first, first, want to rein in the proliferation of so-called ghost guns. These are guns that are homemade, built from a kit, and include directions on how to finish the firearm. You can go buy the kit. They have no serial numbers. So when they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced. And the buyers aren't required to pass a background check to buy the kit, to make the gun. Consequently, anyone, anyone from a criminal to a terrorist can buy this kit as little as 30 minutes put together a weapon. You know, I want to see these kits treated as firearms under the Gun Control Act, which is going to require that the seller and manufacturers make the key parts with serial numbers and run background checks on the buyers when they walk in to buy that package. Okay, so let's let's deal with this bit by bit. So uh, since he's talking about this, and this is the first part of Charlie Cook's article, let's just, we'll deal with it bit by bit. So here's what... Um, Charlie Cook says, uh, Biden's political theater today, the administration's pointless and politically obtuse announcement will do nothing but rile up gun, gun owners. Unable once again, he says, to resist, resist the left flank of his party's base, Joe Biden has walked directly into a trap. Today, quote unquote, the White House proclaims in a press release the Biden-Harris administration is announcing six initial actions to address the gun violence public health epidemic. The president, it confirms, is committed to taking action. A more accurate dispatch might have read something like, today, the Biden-Harris administration is achieving nothing of consequence <laughs> while riling up some of the most committed voters in the country and damaging an off-deployed progressive talking point about the infrequency of gun control measures. He says all of the policy meet in Biden's missive sits within the reiterating his call for Congress to pass legislation section which given that there aren't enough votes in the Senate for gun control means that none of the items included there are going to happen. Everything else in the release smacks of a sideshow. So starting with what we just watched, Biden contends that homemade ghost guns are a growing problem and teases a proposed rule to help stop the proliferation of these firearms, end quote. As if the gangs that have learned to make such weapons will be meaningfully dissuaded by slightly tighter regulations. As if firearms are more dangerous when they lack a serial number. As if 3D printing hasn't already rendered any effort to superintend this area absolutely moot. He promises a proposed rule to make clear when a device marketed as a stabilizing brace effectively turns a pistol into a short-barreled rifle. So let's get to that. Let's go uh, cut 42, G, and let's hear this next clip. The, section action we're going to, the second action we're going to take, back in 2000, year 2000, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms released a report on its investigations of firearms trafficking in America. The report was of pivotal value. It was an important tool for policymakers when I was in the Senate and beyond at all levels to stop firearms from being illegally diverted into dangerous hands. Today, 
with online sales and ghost guns, times and trafficking methods have changed. And we have to adjust. We also have to ask the Justice Department to release a new annual report. This report will better help policymakers address firearms trafficking as it is today, not what it was yesterday. Okay. <laughs> Cut 43. This is Now, this is really where I think the Department of Justice is going with all of this. And that's not for all the talk you heard about um, automatic military-style weapons. What they're really going to try to go after is the old Jack Bauer, you know, what you're carrying in your... Um, your hip pocket is, you know, your nine millimeter, your handguns. Right. So here's um, 43. Roll that. The third change. We want to treat pistols modified with stabilizing braces with the seriousness they deserve. A stabilizing brace hook and a pencil essentially makes that pistol a hell of a lot more accurate and a mini rifle. As a result, it's more lethal effectively turning into a short-barreled rifle. I mean, that, <laughs> that's what the alleged shooter in Boulder appears to have done. I want to be clear that these modifications to firearms that make them more lethal should be subject to the National Firearms Act. The National Firearms Act requires that a potential owner pay $200 fee and submit their name and other identifying information to the Justice Department, just as they would if they went out and purchased a silencer for a gun. So I want, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever heard the word stabilizing brace in, in, con, in conjunction with any of these reports of these awful incidents or in any way have ever heard of the stabilizing brace, whatever the hell that is, was he described right. um, mm. as somehow tied to the the murder rate of in where would these weapons are used suicide where these weapons are used or mass shootings where any of these things are used stabilizing brace we're going to go after now yeah i I don't know about a stabilizing brace it's tough to get a stabilizing brace when you're going like this in chicago um so yeah i I don't think that's really making you um i don't think that's the deciding factor right I think the deciding factor is, can I get the gun and can I shoot somebody with it? Charlie Cook says the stabilizing brace is an interesting semantic topic, but one with no connection whatsoever to the murder rate. He expresses his intention to devise public model red flag legislation that states can pass if they wish, which they won't. He notes that his administration is investing in evidence-based community violence intervention and vows that the Justice Department will issue an annual report on firearms trafficking, which he just said, both of which are innocuous enough but don't really fit within the gun control debate. Finally, he nominated a gun control activist, David Chipman, to serve as the ATF director. Chipman is genuinely bad news. But if personnel were truly policy in this area, then Biden wouldn't be as frustrated as he is. So let's hear the last. Well, we don't have time for the last part. It's a little longer. Uh, this can, whole. Can we jump back to the ghost gun thing for a moment? Sure. Because up until he started mentioning it, I'd never heard of ghost guns. I've never heard it mentioned. I've never heard it talked about. I, I, I kind of, you know, I 
take a look at as much as I can. Um, never heard that phrase. Never knew that you could buy a kit. Hey, Joe, thanks for advertising to the people who didn't know you can do this, um, that now you can do this, which means, you know, teenagers and gang members are like, you know, maybe they just got here from another country. and They're like, hey, I need to go. What? You can get a kit here? Great. Thanks, Joe. Because this, this is the kind of stupidity <laughs> that I think permeates from this guy, and he doesn't realize it. That that yes, okay. I I think making it, um, bringing awareness to it is great. But I feel like he's like totally publicizing things that many people had no idea about. And now even even people might be like, you know what? I was turned down. I did the background. I tried to get it the right way. I didn't know about this. Now I'm gonna go get a kit. I don't know. It it just it strikes me as an odd thing. And especially because it's ingredients. All right, just getting started. We'll finish Charlie Cook's um, very good article in National Review today. Uh, we'll spend some more time on this when we get back. Glad you're in. We'll get to your comments as well. Jen Saki in the briefing room asked about a couple of these things. We'll get to that. And the governor of Florida was out today defending, well, Royal Caribbean and cruise lines. And we'll get to that as well. Seventeen past the hour, live from Studio Six B. Glad you're in. Just getting started. Back to um, Charlie Cook's piece in National Review. He says the president's proposals put him firmly in the worst of both worlds, in that they confer few substantive advantages while yielding serious political risk. Naturally, Biden cannot say in public that what he's doing here is merely for show. On the contrary. He has obliged himself to pretend that the measures he's outlined are meaningful and to use dramatic self-aggrandizing language when selling them. In a few hours, the papers will run headlines declaring that the president is limiting the Second Amendment by fiat. Why? Because by insisting that he, quote, will not wait for Congress to act, he has asked them to do precisely that. It is difficult to comprehend how such reports will help Biden or his agenda. Every pro-gun voter in the country was just informed by the President of the United States that he has decided to bypass Congress and take executive action to advance gun control. At the same time, less engaged voters who are accustomed to being informed that, quote, nothing is ever done about guns, end quote, are being led by the President's own language to believe that there is no, that that is no longer true. And for what? The application of a set of possibly illegal rule changes to a set of marginal problems, the issuing of a handful of bureaucratic reports and the nomination of an unlikable activist who will probably be unable to get past the 50-50 Senate. Gun control activists have an irritating and self-destructed habit of urging Democratic officials to pass the most extreme restrictions they can think of while telling the opponents of those restrictions that they need to calm down because those restrictions are not going to get through Congress. 
for eight years between 2009 and 2017. Gun controllers asked Obama to back their agenda, which he did publicly and repeatedly. Then, once Obama had left office, uh, they decisively uh, asked Second Amendment advocates what they had been, quote-unquote, so worried about, given that thanks to his opponent's success, Obama had managed to, quote-unquote, do nothing. This too-clever-by-half approach may have excited hyper-political types on Twitter, but in the real world, it led to confusion and defeat. If there is one thing Democrats should have learned over the last couple of decades is that there is no upside for them when they make an issue out of gun control, but achieve nothing of consequence from their efforts. Every time that Barack Obama says we need to prohibit the most commonly owned rifle in America or Beto O'Rourke says he backs confiscation or a Dianne Feinstein introduces the same bill she's introduced every year since 1993 or the Giffords campaign makes limiting the Second Amendment an issue in a conservative-leaning state, gun sales increase, the NRA attracts new members, more states loosen their rules, and the facts on the ground change once again. Joe Biden's latest anemic and runner on Congress seems certain to meet that same fate. So a couple other things about this. Jen Psaki was asked about this whole idea of ghost guns. Cut 45G today in the briefing room. Roll it. With these ghost guns, they can basically be bought, printed, and assembled at home. So how is the president confident that this rule can be enforced? Well, it's a rule that is being put in place by the Department of Justice. Uh, It is certainly a step to make that more difficult to regulate uh, an area of gun production that has not been regulated previously. So it's something that will have to be worked through, through law enforcement officials around the country, through the Department of Justice. Okay, so stop it. So, so far, so far, what she's, let me answer the question for her. (laughs) The answer is he's not. That's the two word answer to her, uh, to her question. The, the, the two-word answer is he's not, and he won't, because it's not. That's the answer. Go ahead. Doing it at your house, how are they going to know to be able to enforce that? Well, there's the purchase of kits, of course. That's part of it. Um, but certainly putting in place steps to make it more difficult, to make it harder, to regulate uh, the ability to gain access to uh, ghost guns, ghost gun kits, is certainly a step forward, in our view. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. So now the government wants to know everything you purchase. Huh. Okay. That, that, that can't go wrong. <laughs> um, there's also, now we don't have this audio clip, but at some point today, the president of the United States said the following, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Yeah, I read that. This is from Tyler O'Neill and PJ Media today. On Thursday, President Joe Biden announced new executive actions on gun control, trying to limit ghost guns and make it easier for people to flag their own family members who shouldn't be allowed to purchase firearms. In announcing these restrictions, Biden specifically addressed the Second Amendment. While Biden insisted that none of his gun control measures infringe on the Second Amendment, He also insisted that, quote-unquote, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Quote, nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges, I guess he said with a P instead of with an F, or uh, impinges (laughs) on the Second Amendment. 
their phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake for what we're talking about, he said. Then came the key statement. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. Recall the freedom of speech. From the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. From the very beginning, the Second Amendment existed. Certain people weren't allowed to have weapons, Biden argued. Quote, so the idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, end quote. Uh, The author says, Biden did not cite any of the founders to support his idea that gun rights had limits from the very beginning. As Justin Haskins wrote in The Hill today, the father of the Constitution, James Madison, assured Americans that the creation of a federal government would not involve the loss of this liberty. And he says, quote, Madison said, not what's, this is from Federalist 46, notwithstanding the military establishments in the several kingdoms of Europe, which are carried as far as the public resources will bear, the governments are afraid to trust the people with arms. And it is not certain that with this aid alone, they would not be able to shake off their yokes. But were, but were the people to possess the additional advantages of local governments chosen by themselves, who could collect the national will and direct the national force, and of officers appointed out of the militia by these governments and attached both to them and to the militia, it may be affirmed with the greatest assurance that the throne of every tyranny in Europe would be speedily overturned in spite of the legions which surround it. The whole point Madison was making is that armed militias and local governments are a deterrent against an authoritarian national force. Samuel Adams said a bill of rights should include a guarantee that the Constitution be never construed to authorize Congress to prevent the people of the United States who are peaceably, uh, who are peaceable citizens from keeping their own arms. While Americans generally agree that only peaceable citizens should bear arms, gun control measures often go much further. The key aspect of Biden's statement today has to deal with the constitutional amendments Overall, Biden is laying the groundwork for carving out exceptions to key constitutional rights. It's not just gun control. Biden supports the Obamacare contraception mandate and would remove religious freedom, exemptions from Catholic nuns like the Little Sisters of the Poor. Biden also supports the Equality Act, which explicitly undermines the First Amendment's guarantee of the free exercise of religion. And the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Biden supports H.R. 1, the Democrats' election boondoggle that we talked about last night. Among other things, eviscerates free speech and politics by mandating donor disclosure. When Biden says no amendment to the Constitution is absolute, he isn't just talking about the Second Amendment. Keep that in mind. All right, we'll do some news when we get back. Maybe take a look at some of your emails. We'll do some more video. Crazy Town coming up, and we'll revisit one of our favorite topics from last year that is now coming back to rear its ugly head, and we told you it would, and that would be AFFH. Your suburbs are now under attack.
Hyundai Live from Studio 6P, 30 minutes past the hour. Glad you're in on a Thursday. We're going to do some news with Rick Delgado. Rick Amorati is going to do sports. We're going to get to uh, Stanley Kurtz, who has a follow-up from his original article on AFFH that we spent so much time on this show about, and you, the audience, responded to it tremendously. Well, um, if you thought we were joking about Biden attacking the suburbs, well, you shouldn't have been because he is. And uh, Mr. Kurtz is out with a new article follow-up today. Biden's infrastructure bill aims to end single-family zoning. And it should not be a surprise to you because I told you that's exactly what they were aiming to do. Mr. Kurtz told you. I just read it to you. And that is exactly what they're aiming to do. So we'll get to that. But I believe right now, gee, we have Ben. All right, our own Ben Berkwam, who's been doing just the best, most fantastic reporting from all over the border. There he is. Ben, how are you? Hey, doing great, Damon. Great to be back with you. Well, it's great to have you back. I know you've been all over the place covering this border disaster. Although, I don't know if you heard this, Ben, and I may be bringing news to you. Nancy Pelosi told us yesterday (laughs) that we are in good shape at the border under the leadership of Joe Biden, unlike the previous administration where we were in a really bad spot. So you you may be able to go home. There may be nothing left for you to do. Are you aware of that? Yeah, that's actually what I was planning on doing. I'm just down here just hanging out, having a good old time. In fact, once I get back over, I'm, I'm even thinking about climbing illegally back into America because it's no big deal here, supposedly. And once I get over, uh, before I go, though, I'm going to put a big sign of Nancy Pelosi's face and her Napa Vineyard address on the wall on this side just to invite people when they get across. Not only should we do the encampments on the beach in California, they should go directly to Nancy Pelosi's house because it's no big deal down here the, the the cartels the rapes the murders uh the the human trafficking all of that no big deal no big deal yeah all right so let's be serious now why don't just tell the audience where you've been the last you know couple of days where you were today what you've seen what's going on there from ben burkwam's perspective because you are on the front lines you are seeing it in real life well, first off, right now we're at Mexicali uh, uh, on the Mexico side. We're in Mexico right now. You can see, obviously, the wall behind me, the President Trump's wall. I'm going to run across here and try to not get hit by traffic. Hang on a second. Just to give you an idea of the perspective of the height of this wall, that is President Trump's wall. This is the old wall over here. I try to not get hit coming back across here as well. <laughs> Uh, don't jaywalk, kids. But this is this is uh, this is the battle that we're in. You see the Constantina wire right up there as well. This is where they cross. And I actually spoke to Border Patrol here just a couple days ago. He said that just about every day they get about 100 crossers just in this little section right here. And every single one of them are either dope mules or uh, gang members that are trying to get back into America. These are people that don't want to get caught. These are the people that are crossing because of the the distractions and the diversions that we see in Tijuana and McAllen and Brownsville and all these other places where we have these hordes of people coming across, mind you, all trafficked by the cartel. Every single person that crosses this border pays the cartel. And in fact, Border Patrol right here told me that if they don't pay here to get across that border wall, a couple things may happen. They, they can get beat up, they can get killed, or sometimes what they'll do is they'll strip them naked and they'll throw them over the border naked, breaking their arms and their legs and Uh, It's just a bad day for them. This is, uh, we just came back from Tijuana. We just got over here to Mexicali. And uh, we were at at one of the camps where there's about 2,000 people now living that have come up from Central America. 
completely controlled by a combination of cartels in, in Tijuana and the leftist activists, many of them American leftist activists, who are also tied now that we're finding out to leftist media in America. So all of this, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi coming out, Joe Biden coming out, Kamala with her cackle coming out saying there's no problem down here. They know there's a problem. And in fact, they've created this problem. And it goes back to exactly what you're saying. It's actually all tied together where they don't want single family uh, dwellings. It all goes back to this globalist, communist, uh, radical environment environmental idea of what the world is. We should have no borders. We should have no walls unless, of course, you're the elite left. As we were doing that today, we get word uh, last night that there was actually a, a bombings by the cartel Jalisco New Generation, the, so the, the most evil guys you could ever imagine that control that area. They went after, they started blowing up police cars in Tijuana and they actually put up a banner and the police in Tijuana asked us to share this because they can't go out and say it. Uh, they're, they're afraid for their life. Every single one of these guys wake up. You think it's bad to be a cop in America. Imagine being a cop in Mexico, one that's not on the take. And they actually put up a banner, this cartel, who also runs the smuggling of guns and drugs and people across the border, put up a banner saying, if you don't do what we say, we're not only going to kill you, but we're going to kill your family. They put that up last night, and the police wanted us to reiterate that to you. This is not about humanitarianism. This is not about protecting women and children. What we have going on, this open borders crisis that we have created by the left, uh, and not just in America, but around the world, is about protecting the, the, the most innocent among us, the law-abiding citizens, from the most evil people you can imagine. And we're seeing it from East Coast to West Coast. I've been all across the border. It's out of control. It's completely out of control. And it's completely unnecessary. I spoke to Border Patrol on the U.S. side uh, yesterday, and she told me, that the morale in Border Patrol is the lowest she's ever seen it, and they don't know what to do now. It's just, you know, they're being told to basically become the Uber for these these criminal cartel organizations. Yeah, I mean, it's we, you know, we've covered the cartel stories. You, you read the stories about these bracelets and what they cost and the, and the difference in, in cost depending on where you're coming from. Gee, put up that graphic that we have today. Uh, the, some numbers came out this morning. Um, if you, do, we, do we have the picture, Jay? Um, it was about 185,000 or something. Um, 172,331 migrants attempted to cross the border in March 2021. By far the largest number any of us have seen. Uh, obviously, we saw the horrific video. It was kind of almost like an x-ray video of these poor little girls being dropped over that wall. Uh, uh, the uh. two guys just running away. I mean, and every time Jen Psaki gets asked about it, obviously Kamala Harris was put in charge of it. She's she's she hasn't even come within um, about a thousand miles of the damn border. She hasn't gone down there. He won't go down there. She won't go down there. They have no answer to how they're going to end this. Now, I did notice that my uh, secretary Mayorkas says that he's going to go down to the border and there's no press allowed. Now, I wonder if the no press is allowed because. So far, they've decided that they maybe need to rethink their uh, Trump's policy about stay in Mexico. Maybe we need to go back to that. And maybe we need to reconstruct some of this border wall where the gaps are. So they've already gone back to two of Trump policies. You wonder if he's going to go there to discuss that. And they don't want the media there. So they say no press. 
Yeah, no, clearly, those are the two things that President Trump did, the, the, the most effective things when it comes to immigration, illegal immigration in America. Number one was the Remain in Mexico policy. That virtually ended the, the illegal traffic that we saw because 95% of the people that were coming over were actually trained by American leftists and, and globalist leftists that all you have to do is get into America, you claim asylum, and then you have to wait for your court date, and that can take up to five years. Don't worry, then you just, you know, you'll be in America, it's all good. Once they enacted the Remain in Mexico policy, that virtually ended. As soon as Joe Biden ended the Remain in Mexico policy, that opened the floodgates. The wall only works if once you get across there, you get sent back if you come across illegally. And that that thing, that that policy, that one policy alone would change everything. The problem is Joe Biden is not running the show. It is these radical leftists that will flip out. If he if he goes back on his word on this, and I pray he does, I really do, for the exact reason you mentioned, these poor children that are being trafficked across here, where I have uh, Border Patrol agents telling me that these children are being recycled, they're sold by the cartel, and by the way, 180,000 people represents billions of dollars for the cartel when you talk about $4,000 a head that these guys are making coming up from Central America, the cartels are on each one of these people that are being trafficked in one month. But that, that alone, guys, would protect these children. It would stop this inflow that we see going on right now, uh, and it would put an end to it. But the most important thing, people always ask me, well, what, well you know, what should we do? And, and a lot of times I'm kind of stumped on it. I'm like, look, I don't see the left changing. I will be shocked if Joe Biden does that based on the fact that he's not running the show. It's the radical left. It's the AOCs and the Kamala Harris's and the, the George Soros's of the world that are actually pulling the strings behind the scenes. But uh, if, if he actually does that, it would actually change. But the most important things that Americans can do is do exactly what Georgia did. We have to change the election laws because if this, the American people are waking up to this. We have to make sure that in 2022 and 2024, we have secure elections, that we outvote the fraud because the American people People are seeing the left for exactly what they are, and we're hearing it. I'm meeting people every single day, especially on the other side of that wall, especially legal immigrants who escaped this, escaped the violence, said that that, that is why they left, and the last thing they want is for America to invite cartel activity into our country. If we do that, if we secure our elections, I think you're going to see a flip like you've never seen before, uh, and, and that's what the left is the most afraid about. That's why there's so many distractions going on, whether it's the border, whether it's gun confiscation, and all of this stuff. Truly, I believe that the front line in this battle is voter integrity and making sure that only legal voters get to vote. You know, I've been making the point on the show, of course, of all the people on this show, I'm, of course, the biggest naive sap that there is on the show. <laughs> uh, but I've been making the point that I don't care where you fall, left or right. I, I just can't imagine anyone who's paying attention to this and sees these governors in some of these states who want to control your life need you to go do this you got to go get tested you can't yeah. go here you got to go there you can't travel you can't do this and then they look at the border you've got people coming across they're not getting tested they're getting led into the country and nobody cares where they're going or what they're doing but yet we li we're living under like we're living in north korea listen listen to the listen to this i just spoke to uh brandon judd the president of the border patrol union and he actually said, I was trying to get to the bottom of this, because one of the Border Patrol agents anonymously uh, in McAllen, Texas, said where they were sending COVID-positive patients, a hotel down in San Juan, Texas. And so we went there to investigate it. And I went to every single person that I knew in Border Patrol and in, in uh, ICE and, and Homeland Security that I could ask the question, are we, in fact, doing this? And the scariest thing I heard, and God bless Brandon Judd and God bless all the Border Patrol agents out there, 
He said they don't actually know because most of the time they're not actually even testing them. The only time Border Patrol tests people for COVID, and it's not just COVID, it's tuberculosis, it's hepatitis, it's all kinds of yellow fever. All, kinds of all right, G, let's um, we're lost. Dang. lost Ben's signal there. We lost his picture and his audio, but uh, we get to, we get the point of where he was going. So. Uh, it's just a disaster at the border. We and, and we know it is. And people yeah. who are paying attention to this know it is. And we know that they have no answers. And and, and what he says is right. Again, it, I, whether it's Ron Klain, Susan Rice, Obama, George Soros, or whoever, this is why Biden's not going. This is why he's not going. This is why oh, he put Kamala Harris in charge. Yeah. Where, where, what is she doing? She hasn't even been there. How could she be in charge of it? Well, she, you know, she's in charge of the, you know, talking to the other countries to help, you know, help them understand what we can do to help them curb the. Well, the other countries don't even want to talk to us. I saw something today that I don't, (laughs) I forget what wasn't Mexico, but I'm Nicaragua. Somebody, the president didn't even want to talk to Biden or about it. It's amazing. So it's just uh, it's just a disaster. But I'm sorry, but Ben is doing yeoman's work, right? Um. And the reporting that he's been getting, the pictures he's been getting, the reporting he's been getting, it's been so fantastic. Um, and let's pray, stay safe, because he's, man, he just goes in the middle of it with no regard. Like, as you can see, he's, I think I'm going to run across that road. <laughs> just no shot. So, all right, live from Studio 6B. Thanks, Ben, for coming on. We'll do some news, some sports. When we get back, glad you're in on a Thursday night. from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Of course, all your OTT platforms. And make sure you download the Real America's Voice app if you haven't already for your phone, tablet, or for your Apple TV, your Amazon Fire TV, Roku, whatever it's on. And of course, we're on Roku, the Roku channel. We're on Pluto TV. So plenty of places to watch us each and every night. And you can go back and watch past shows and make sure you follow us on all our social media facebook numbers are climbing we need to get them up more so make sure you follow and like the facebook page uh twitter uh at lfs6b facebook.com uh, slash lfs6b parlor youtube all of them it's all we're all we're all there so um all right let's do some sports and here with that is uh rick emirati who did not know that the new prince song okay <laughs> let me clarify that now oh my goodness now he's done his research yeah, now no, he's be I did my research as now i said fight no an album was <laughs> a pre-book on the album was released today welcome to america which came out in 2010 and they're going to release it in july and i got the email about that there'll be some new songs on that album oh. but that's the buzz and i'll tell you welcome to america was a tour that i was at <laughs> And if you look at Prince kicks Kim Kardashian off stage, you go to that video, it went viral. Well, I'm the guy that Prince then points to after he kicks her off stage. He goes, oh, no, brother, I can't dance with you. So, man, that's I'm tied into that album big time. So, yes, don't get me going with Prince. But Soda Pop Mama, love you for the information. You got way more defensive about that than about wow. being wrong about sports. I mean, that's his you lively. Know, that's, I know. His that's lively. my boy. 
That's as lively as he's been in the year he's been on this show. <laughs> right there. Passionate he, about the purple man. He almost yes. he almost jumped out of his sneakers. Yeah. He almost did. He almost got over and fight me. I know, Z. I had a feeling you were going to come to me with that, and I thank you for that. <laughs> I thank you for that, Big D. You got my back on All right, that now one. let's do sports, and let's keep that energy the same. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to go to your favorite. <laughs> or maybe I, not. <laughs> well, hey, I know something you're passionate about, Big D. It's definitely the Masters tournament. It's one thing in sports I know you still do love. And uh, that kicked off today. Uh, they teed off. This is from round one, CBS Sports Leaderboard. We're in beautiful Augusta, Georgia, at the Augusta National Golf Club. This is Kyle Porter and Kyle Boone reporting for CBS Sports, who covers this like nobody else. And uh, the 85th Masters is officially underway, having thankfully returned to its normal April spot in the golf calendar. Defending champion Dustin Johnson's first round left plenty to be desired. DJ had, was one over without a birdie on his first nine. He birdied numbers 11 and 13, but wound up bogeying 16 and notching a double on 18 to close two over and five shots back of the clubhouse leader. And we got followers that understand what we're saying here. Uh, not insurmountable uh, deficit, but surely not what he expected. Also struggling early was Damon's favorite, Rory McIlroy, who not only hit his own father with an approach shot on the seventh, but finished four over with six bogeys and two birdies. <laughs> Yay. And Justin Rose made a huge move late to take the clubhouse lead at seven under, four shots clear of the rest of the field. Uh, after starting two over through his first seven holes, Thomas deposited an eagle on number eight and seven birdies over his final ten holes in an absolutely stellar performance. It is the sixth Masters round that Rose has led or co-led the most of any player in history of in the history of Augusta National who has not won a green jacket. So remember what I always tell you, the guy in first place on Thursday and Friday usually isn't the leader when I come back on Monday night. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This week may be the end of that stat because he could – I don't want to say it's over after round one with a four-shot lead. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I watched about an hour and a half of that tournament today, and it was some of the worst golf I've ever seen <laughs> from professional players. Now, it's not because they're all of a sudden not good players, but that course is playing, and those greens have got to be running about 12 or 13 on a stint meter because they were like putting on glass. Yeah. I mean, I saw some of the worst shots from and some of the worst decisions I've ever seen from some of these guys. I, I mean, it was like an hour and a half. I didn't see one good shot. And just guys putting the ball off the green into the water. Did you? I see mean, it was on his. He shot. Justin Rose shot thirty on the back nine. That is, that's oh. like shooting twenty five on a normal course today. Because that was that is an incredible, incredible nine holes. And if the court, unless they water the greens tremendously to slow him down, four shots may be insurmountable if he continues to play pretty decently. Yeah, Dustin Johnson had a breathtaking shot too today. He hit a, a beautiful putt. It was, must have been about sixty something feet. It was beautiful. Right. In well, the what hole. did he shoot? He shot. Uh, he shot. He I think shot he, over par. I think. Yeah, he was. I think he was two over. He, nah, was too he old. sucks too. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, I think it's over. It's over. He, I right. think Rose is going to win. Rosie's not one to give up the lead. By the way, when he's in the lead, so. And uh, speaking of sucks, perfect segue. I got to give a couple of Major League Baseball scores here. Uh, so the Mets defeated the Marlins three to two, and let me tell you, it was a controversial end. Michael, the contortionist Conforto, there of the Mets, he stuck his elbow out in the bottom of the ninth with bases loaded, and it just chipped his elbow. Although it was in the strike zone, and the Marlins lost that game three to two. I tell you, Don Mattingly was fit to be tied, but you know what? When a, when you're hit by a pitch and it's in the strike zone, it can't be reviewed and reversed. So uh, not a good not a good day for the uh, Marlins. But hey, the Mets. 
one, and they were home in City Field, so a lot of happy fans in New York. Uh, we also have a couple other finals. Cubbies over the Pirates, 4-2. to two. Red Sox, 7-3 over the Orioles. Rockies, 7-3 over the Diamondbacks. Right now, in the top of the seventh, the White Sox uh, in command over the Royals, 6 nothing. Another final, Twins over the Mariners, 10-2. to two. Blowout there. And uh, Cardinals over the Brewers, 3-1 to one final. And uh, in the bottom of the fifth, we have the Angels leading the Blue Jays, 4-3. to three. And that's that in Major League Baseball. NHL action right now. Hurricanes 2-0 over the Panthers. All these games are in the second. Bruins over the Capitals, 3-2. Penguins over the Rangers, 3-1. FK from Facebook, I want to thank you. Yep, Mr. Nolan's at the Islander game tonight. And uh, right now, they're tied 2-2. Uh, they were up 2-0, but I don't think Mr. Nolan's too happy. It's 2-2 who was, uh, who was that that gave you that comment? FK is one of our face- good Facebook followers. Oh, yes, he's very good. I know him. Yeah, good good guy. Um, so, yeah, Mr. Nolan's at that game. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll have the final probably in the next segment of sports. Uh, also, Devils and Sabres nodded at three. The Jets over the Canadians, three to two. Lightning over the Blue Jackets, five to one. Uh, Oilers and Senators tied at one. Red Wings up one nothing over the Predators. Blackhawks over the Stars. One Actually, one one. It's a tie game in the second period, all in the second period. NBA action at halftime. Bulls over the Raptors, 64-51. Heat lead the Lakers, 47-42 in the second. And the one, Cavaliers and Thunder were tied. We have the Bucks and Mavs at 9 o'clock, and then Suns, Clippers, Piston Kings, and Trailblazers Jazz all tip at 10 tonight in the NBA. Uh, some sad uh, news I had today. I tweeted this out earlier. Uh, I really didn't want to send this out, but I, I like to give breaking news to my followers at Slick Rick Sports on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> former NFL player Philip Adams kills five in South Carolina, then himself, authorities say, Associated Press reporting. Rock Hill, South Carolina, former NFL player Philip Adams fatally shot five people, including a prominent doctor, his wife, and I hate to say this, their two grandchildren, before later killing himself, authorities said. Uh, earlier today. York County Sheriff Kevin Tolson told the news conference Thursday that investigators had not yet determined a motive in the mass shooting Wednesday. Although I am hearing some reports un- unconfirmed could be a painkiller addiction was the problem that this gentleman had. Um, there's nothing uh, right now that makes sense to any of us, Tolson said. Dr. Robert Leslie, 70, and his wife Barbara, 69, were pronounced dead at the scene Wednesday, along with their grandchildren, Ada Leslie, 9, and Noah Leslie, 5. Uh, a man who had been working at the home, James Lewis, 38, from Gaston, was found shot to death outside. A sixth victim, Robert Shook, 38, of Cherryville, North Carolina, was flown to a Charlotte hospital where he was in critical condition, fighting hard for his life, said his cousin, Heather Smith-Thompson. At Thursday's news conference, Tolson played audio of the 9-11 calls, uh, the first from the HVAC company that employed Lewis, uh, you know, obviously screaming, uh, somebody's been shot, and uh, somebody else was unresponsive. So, very sad state of affairs. Um, A lot more is going to come out. Um, and, uh, you know, again, very sad. This gentleman, Adams, had played for the New England Patriots, New York Jets, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he was a cornerback, 32 years old. He wasn't a starting player. Um, he did play uh, for, I believe, South Carolina State. And, um, you know, 78 NFL games. He was a seventh-round pick in 2010. Yes, Carolina State, South Carolina State, that's correct. Um, he had a, some bad injury issues, concussions. Um, and Adams' father uh, actually told the Charlotte television station that he blamed football for his problems that may have led to his son to commit Wednesday, Wednesday uh, yesterday's violence. Um, and this happened yesterday at 4.55, Big D. Oop, running late. Yep. All right, we got it. All right, hour two coming up. We'll do some news, more sports. Got to some other things I want to get to. And we'll talk about AFFH. 
God, it's a terrible story. Hour two, live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Glad you're in. Ben Burkwam joined us in the first hour down from the border. He's fantastic. We talked about Biden's um, political theater today, as uh, Charlie Cook called it. And we'll talk about AFFH here. Stanley Kurtz is back out in National Review. I actually, before I found Stanley Kurtz's article today, I found. Um, on AOL, believe it or not, from Reuters, Biden seeks to ease housing shortage with $5 billion carrot, no stick approach. Uh, this is uh, pr- this was an AOL uh, by Reuters. And this is the more kind of center left version of Stanley Kurtz's article. So I'm going to give you Stanley Kurtz's article, but it's, it's much more factual and to the point of what's really going on, not the sugar-coated kind of you know, AOL Reuters version. So we'll get to that. But let's do some news right now. Paul's off tonight at the Islander game. What's the score in the Islander game? Don't uh, even two, know. 2-2. Two. Still 2-2. Two, 2-2 two. Oh, no, two, so two. So two, two with 15 minutes to go in the third. Big no, game. he's not happy then. No. He's not happy at all. Mm-hmm. He's probably very nervous sitting on the edge of his seat <laughs> drinking way too many alcoholic beverages. <laughs> I had a guess, so. Yeah, you know, he's probably yelling at his family, be quiet, don't talk. Oh, he's screaming at people like <laughs> Biden does. Yeah, he's screaming like Biden screams at the, at the camera. Uh, all right, let's do the news, Rick Delgado. What's going on, Paul? All right, well, I'm going to do the news sitting in for Paul, of course, and you can find me at uh, Gab at Ugly American Radio. Make sure you follow. Um, a small business advocacy organization is calling for an about face after Major League Baseball Commissioner Robert Manfred Jr. said last week that the All-Star game and the Major League draft slated to occur in Atlanta, Georgia, would be relocated. Again, this this is a story that's uh, it keep it, it's like an onion. They keep peeling off different layers, and we're finding out more. Uh, this announcement came as an expression of opposition to election-regulated legislation. Of course, in the Peach State, over the last week, they're quoted, we have engaged in thoughtful conversations. Uh, this is from Manfred, by the way. Over the last week, we've engaged in thoughtful conversations with clubs, former and current players, the Players Association, the Players Alliance, among others, to listen to their views. And I have decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star Game and Major League Draft. It's funny that he says that because according to all of the owners that I saw, they were all caught blindsided by the whole decision. Yeah. So I don't know what he's talking about there. So there seems to be a little difference between the commissioner and some of the owners because they all said... What the hell's going on here? What's with the quick uh, response? Yeah, and we haven't seen anything in the way of uh, players responding to this as well. Uh, But the Job Creators Network, JCN President and CEO Alfredo Ortiz, in a letter to Manfred called for the relocation decision to be reversed, writing that the move would deprive Atlanta of millions of dollars. And I think we went through this last night. I think about $100 million in tourism revenue. And that the Georgia legislation makes it actually easier to vote 
out and harder to cheat. Uh, the MLB dumped Atlanta and shifted instead, of course, we know, to uh, Denver. The local government in Georgia, the pre-designated location for the event, estimated that the exit will amount to over $100 million. Uh, Ortiz went on further, saying that for small businesses that have disproportionately suffered throughout the government-imposed pandemic lockdowns over the past year, this financial loss is a punch to the gut and will have an outsized impact on minority-owned businesses. As Senator Tim Tim Scott points out in the tweet, Atlanta has a majority African-American population, while Denver boasts a 9% makeup. Your decision is punishing the very group you claim to be defending. We demand that you reverse your decision. Uh, On behalf of the members, JCN demands you reconsider your decision and return the All-Star Game back to the Peach State, his letter wrote. Don't let activist groups weaponize America's pastime to push radical ideas that Major League uh, Baseball's fans don't support. And it's gotten a lot of play, uh, especially in the last few days. And again, Tim Scott tweeting that out. The, you know, the percentage of blacks in Atlanta versus Denver moving the game, of course. And this is having wide range, you know, repercussions throughout the entire area. Yep. So, Well, the whole premise of it, as we've discussed, is just uh, it's just uh, mind numbing. <laughs> All we hear from the Democratic Party is everything they're passing, everything they're doing is in the name of civil rights. It's all great. It's all about minorities. And they they pull the All Star Game because of Georgia's voting law. They don't. None of them have read it. Major League Baseball hasn't met. Rob Manfred hasn't read it. None of the players have read it. LeBron James hasn't read it. Shannon Sharp <laughs> hasn't read it. None of them have read it. And but yet again, fifty nine percent African American community in Atlanta to seven percent in Colorado. But no, it's all about minorities and um, you know. It's just it's yeah, mind-numbing. And again, that story comes from Just the News. Yep. This one is kind of attached because, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about, well, what was going on? Who was the commissioner talking to? You made the point of we haven't heard, you know, any of the players. The owners said they were blindsided. Well, according to this in PJ Media, in the wake of the Major League Baseball relocation of the All-Star Game, almost everyone who has been calling for such a move has been backtracking, including Joe Biden and even Stacey Abrams, uh, who was a major voice against the recently passed election law that Democrats have been making several false claims about. Now, this article basically says, well, we kind of kind of know who we think he was talking to. But sources say that Stacey Abrams was the only one Bingo. who convinced Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred to move the All-Star game out of Georgia. Um, there is, however, a conflicting report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that claims Abrams actually strongly urged Major League Baseball to keep the game in Atlanta, but that is contradicted by her own actions prior to Major League Baseball's decision. Um, Now Major League Baseball is desperately trying to contain the backlash from their decision. Regardless of what Major League Baseball has done to repair that damage that they've done, the big question now is whether Stacey Abrams destroyed the political capital she had by lying about what she did and what she knew about Georgia's new election law and encouraging the boycott of the state she claims to be an advocate for. So it seems to be general consensus that the only one... (laughs) <laughs> that Rob Manfred was talking to was Stacey Abrams. So they're all looking at her now as, as, as the problem. Again, this is uh, sources are saying, I think these are sources that are leaking out of major league baseball yeah. 
because, like you mentioned, Charlie Gasparino's tweeted, uh, sources say that the owners were blindsided, at least by the timing, also said his decision came after speaking with Stacey Abrams. Which who's, is odd. Who's now saying, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, right. all, I'm, uh, not, I'm all against this. Definitely her. It's yeah, definitely her. It's the shaggy defense. It wasn't me. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What else is going on in the news? Uh, well, speaking of, uh, speaking of sports, because we're talking about baseball, football legend Herschel Walker has weighed in. And he's saying that these large corporations and activists who oppose a new Georgia election law should actually help minorities if they don't think they can obtain uh, photo IDs to help them gain photo IDs for voting instead of complaining about the issue time in and time out with major league baseball, moving its annual all-star game um, from Georgia in response to the new law, which is part requires because it requires a photo ID to obtain an absentee ballot. He says, and I quote my grandfather today, if he was alive would be 117 years old. He had a driver's license. Walker said Wednesday evening in a virtual discussion um, by Delaware, Wilmington Public Library. We're in modern time today, and people don't have ID. And then I say, you know, what's so strange about it is that I have I have all these companies that are coming out putting it down. They don't have ID. People don't have ID. Why don't these companies that have been talking so much that want to do that? Why don't they just help help these people who don't have IDs get an ID? He asks. Meanwhile, whatever we have to do, uh, whether it's get the buses and get a get other things together, help them fill out the paperwork and help them get an ID and not be complaining about it all the time because I believe in empowering people. In today's world, you have to have an ID to do anything. You know, you have certain companies that you need an ID to even get into their office. But yet, they say something different. And so I said, I believe in empowering people, meaning that let me help you get to where you need to get. And again, that comes from Herschel Walker. And uh, uh, he also said he believes in teaching a man how to fish rather than giving him the fish. Excellent point. Yeah. So excellent. In terms of uh, Herschel, that was his. Uh, that was him. You know, kind of weighing it in. And of course, we've heard his name bandied about, thinking about a run for office. He's uh, being courted right now to return to Georgia to run for U.N.S. Senate in 2022 and uh, also said that activist groups and civil rights organizations that receive millions of dollars in contributions from these corporations should be using that money for job training programs and scholarship programs in minority communities. And uh, if he were to run, he'd be going up against Senator Raphael Warnock. So something to keep in mind as uh, 2022 is quickly approaching. Well, and, 2022 uh, is starting to shape up, too, by the way. Um because you're starting to see Lisa Murkowski is supposedly down by 15 points in Alaska. Yep. Herschel Walker, I believe, would have a, a, almost a cakewalk to win in Georgia. And I'll tell you else who we're going to start keeping a big, close eye on. And it's not for Senate. It's not for, um, obviously, for the House. It's not for state. But it's for Governor of New York. Because yes. today, Lee Zeldin announced that he is running for Governor of New York um, against who I obviously I believe it will be. Uh, I don't think anyone still. And number one, I don't think he's going to resign. I don't think he's going to get impeached. And I think he's probably going to run again for I think what would be his fourth term. Ugh. You think but, you think Cuomo's going to stay? Yeah. But Lee Zeldin's going to be his opponent. Yeah, I heard that today. So he announced that this morning. Yeah. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that because um, we're going to put to the test what we've been saying on this show, even with everything going on, 
is it enough for New Yorkers, enough New Yorkers outside of the city, although I don't know, I don't even know if that would be enough to turn the state back red, not red, but I mean, at least put a Republican governor uh, back into the, um, in Albany. Mm. And that'll be an interesting question to see. As we're a year, I guess we're a year out or so, year and a half out from, from the race. Right. Lee Zeldin announces today that he's going to run uh, for governor of New York. Awesome. Yeah. I and he's don't, an I extremely don't popular um, yep. congressman. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, he, he's one of the ones who didn't, uh, you know, abandon ship um, right after Election Day. So he's, uh, you know, he, he's stuck by his conservative values. And what he said and what he's done and, you know, him, he's taken the lead on a bunch of things and he's done a lot of great stuff locally in the community, even though he, he has to, you know, haul his cookies to D.C. all the time. We've uh, reached out to Congressman Zeldin's office, I believe, to try to get him on the program. So yeah, we we'll have. see if we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, somebody else has reached out, Rick. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so we'll see if that, that happens. Since we've been trying to get uh, Congressman Zeldin on for a while, and it just hasn't happened, we'll see now if it, if it happens. So right. uh, I would assume he wants to get out there and talk about this. So we'll see if we can get him on. Um, but good, for, good to see him running. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that you think Cuomo's going to run again. I know he's trying to run out the clock. I think he's trying to, he's trying to do what, uh, what Northam did down in Virginia in hopes that maybe something else will take the news cycle away from him. But I don't see him running again. Power. Absolute power corrupts <laughs> absolutely, right? That's true. He may it take a knee. Makes you absolutely crazy. Seventeen past the hour, live from Studio Six B. Glad you're in. Uh, we've got the Governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He was out today and talking about the cruise lines and um, the fact that the uh, the CDC. There's no um, specific CDC ruling or anything that has to uh, shut down. So he's suing the Biden administration, I believe, or uh, suing the C- suing somebody for for the cruise lines to start getting going. Out of of course, out of Florida is a huge. They depart from all kinds of places in Florida. I have one booked for next February. I don't even know. I mean, I don't know. You know, who knows? You know, good thing it's not this year because right now I don't think you could even sail. Right. So he was out in front of the cameras today and he dealt with a couple issues after he made his statement. He took some questions from reporters. The first one was about vaccine passports, even though I read you the Biden administration's um, statement on it yesterday, which, by the way, is the right thing to do. So... I mean, I'll give some credit where some credits do. They came out and made the statement that they're not going to support them. And that's what they should do. So here's what the governor said about it. Roll it, G. We're not doing vaccine passports in Florida. That, it's, it's, not, it's not necessary. It, it causes a huge amount of problems. And I think you're seeing a big groundswell against these. I was the first one to, to come out. 
look, Florida has to lead on all this stuff. I think we figured that out. But we led. <laughs> now all these other states are doing it. Some of the uh, banning them. Some of the states that have gone in the direction of doing them, it's not working out very well. And people are very upset about it. You have a right to live your life in our society. You can go to a restaurant, you can get, get on a cruise ship, you can go to a movie theater without the company demanding that you show them your health information. It's just not necessary to do, and here's the way I view it is, if it's something that you're concerned about, make sure you get vaccinated. Great, go, go get vaccinated, we're all for that. But it is a choice, and it's not something that I want to restrict people based on whether they've gotten the vet. Because there's some people that have recovered from COVID who decide, you know, I mean, I, maybe, I, maybe I'll get it some other time, but I may, right now I recovered. I think I have, you do have immunity. We don't know how long it lasts, but it certainly lasts at least a year. So, so there's all these different things. Then you have some, some folks that are a little more hesitant about it. Why would we then put an inhibition on them uh, to do it? So, yeah, we're not doing, and the federal government, in fairness to them, they have said they're not going to do a vaccine passport because uh, there was talk of that. That's what prompted me to come out and say it's not happening in Florida. And then they backed off. They said, no, you know, maybe the private sector will go in that direction, but we are not as the federal. And I think that's the right decision. I think they did that because I think they got a lot of backlash for it. But here's the thing. If you allow the private sector to do this, actually, we're helping the private sector because I don't think most private businesses really want to get involved in here. So they even have to be pressured to do it. But also, we have the COVID liability, so they shouldn't fear liability. This is something that people can make decisions about what they want to do. And I think that's the best way to do it. Give people information, give them access to vaccine, um, let, let them know that they can make these decisions for themselves. And I trust people will make, will make good decisions for themselves. <laughs> it's amazing when you, when you make sense how easy yeah. answering yeah. questions is. No, let, let's let people live their life. Let's give them the information. Let's let them make the decisions. They're rational, smart people. Let's be rational and smart about policy. And when you are, good things happen. People can decide what's best for them. They don't need the government telling them what they can and can't do, where they can and can't go, what they can and can't wear, what they, they can and can't eat. Who they can and can't hang out with on July 4th. It's amazing. So again, he, he, he's just, he sticks out because he's so common sense, rational, and always has your liberty in mind in making decisions. And unfortunately, there's very few, there are some, very few who think like that, at least from what I could tell so far. Right. right oh, now. And, and are brave enough to actually say it out loud and be quoted on it. Uh, you know, so, some of them might talk a good game behind the scenes and be like, well, you know, I don't believe. But then they get in front of a camera and they're like, well, you know, and then they start spinning the yarns and the words out and, and, and you know, the, the circling and, and, and not really saying much, but, but, you know, dispensing with a lot of words. Um, but he gets right to the point. No, we're not going to do it. Uh, that's, that's just it. So you and Paul were talking last night that, well, the, the way they're going to get the roundabout here is through private business. Right. Well, he was asked about that, if private business, this is 48G. He was asked, well, what if a private business here really, really insists on doing it? Would you object to that? Roll it. 
because so just think about like you know you want to go to like a ball game and they say you have to show proof of vaccine to go well what if you have a reason for why you didn't get vaccinated okay you then can't participate in society like everybody else i mean these are basically public accommodations um and to put uh to have different classes of citizens based on vaccine status uh, I think is a big, big mistake. And as I mentioned, if someone recovered from COVID last week, they would be advised right now not to get the vaccine. Uh, th that's just the you, you you want you want to wait a little bit, um, or certainly if you're not advised, it would be sensible not to because you do have infection controlled immunity. So that's just the reality. So I don't want to create different classes of citizens for this. I think that it would be something that we would rue the day. And here's what we've learned on this: you give an inch. There's people that want to take a mile. They want to take your freedom. They want to be able to, to exercise power. Remember, last year, a little over last year, yeah, about, I mean, it was in March of last year, 15 days to slow the spread. 15 days or two weeks to stop the cruise, then you guys would be back. Remember that's what they promised us? And then somehow this is dragged on to where we still have major states in our country that have pretty significant lockdowns. That was not what was promised. And so I think, we, I think we're, we're wiser now. We may be sadder in terms of some of the damage that we've seen throughout this country, locking kids out of school for a year, destroying people's lives by not letting them work, destroying businesses and all that. But I think we're wiser and I think we don't want to go down that road. If you say, just let the cruises do it, no one else, it ain't going to end there, and it's going to end up doing. So we're an 800-pound gorilla when it comes to tourism, and I think if we put our foot down, uh, Florida can help lead the way yet again. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Wow. So that was the end. I have yeah. one more question. He was asked about big tech and how they factor into these vaccine passports and stuff. We'll get to that. But before we do, I mean, listen. No one supported the former president more than we did on this show. Uh, I mean, and I, and I would still be excited about if the former president decided to run again. I think I'd still make him my number one choice. Yeah. But having said that, how could you not? How can you not start to get excited the more you listen to him talk about twenty four? He would be. I mean, it's a long way from now to then. There's a lot can happen. Obviously. You look at what happened with Christy Noam, she's kind of taking a little rough turn. Still could be very solid. We'll see. So things can happen. But I don't know how you can not be excited about him as a future. Maybe it's not 24. Maybe it's 28. But I think it's 24. Unless the former president is 100% set. And then... Yeah, who knows? I mean, I mean, obviously he he lives down in Florida now. He's got a great uh, a great rapport and relationship with DeSantis. Maybe he's like, you know what, this kid's going to carry my flag. Yeah, I like him. Let, would, let's get would, behind it. I would absolutely lean more towards that's going to be his feeling. That could be it. I think four years removed, he's going to seventy eight. He's going to say, mm, I don't know. Right. But he's man, still going to be up for the fight. No, <laughs> don't absolutely. get it wrong. And like again, I keep saying like a broken record, like John Solomon said. Whether he's on the ballot or not, he's he's the one he's on the ballot. Yeah, yeah. He, it's him. He's the, he's he's who the Democrats will be fighting against, even if he's technically not the candidate, and it's DeSantis. And DeSantis right. will have his own stuff too. Yep. But man, I don't know how you cannot be excited about yeah. DeSantis when he taught when you listen to him, yeah. when you listen to him, be so reasonable and think and always put you first and your liberty and your freedoms and thinking and, and comes at his policy from that for starting there. Yeah. 
Not about how he can be intrusive into your damn life. And unlike Democrats, he's not struggling. He's not trying to find the truth. He's just telling you. He's just telling you what he's thinking. All right, we'll do more. Uh, last one on DeSantis. We'll do some more news. Crazy Town. Jen Psaki asked about DeSantis' lawsuit against the uh, for the um, cruise lines. That's what's left. Glad you're in on a Thursday. Studio 6B. In the social media break, we just came up with our brand new T-shirt that'll be out next week. Roberts Nolan 2024. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no, I don't know. Me and Paul, I don't think we'd get too many votes, but uh, well, maybe we get some. But I don't think we're going to go up against. Uh... Well, my question to the social media, I'll ask it on the air too. What would the? Um, would you rather see DeSantis Pompeo? DeSantis gnome, Trump gnome, Trump Pompeo, uh, or Trump Grinnell, or DeSantis Grinnell. I don't know if Richard Grinnell has any interest in that, by the way. I'm just throwing it out there. But there's some good parent. It could be somebody that's not even on our radar right now. Yeah. But I guess the first, the, I'm interested to people like the idea of let's just take Pompeo and gnome because I think those two are. I think they have both have the idea of running. Right. Um, and I think, obviously, you have to think Governor DeSantis has it on his mind. So what's what in Trump, I think it's a long shot, but I think he's still thinking about it. So what would be the pairing you would pick? Maybe the social media can weigh in and we'll monitor that. So, um, all right, so let's do Crazy Town, G. Jen Psaki uh, was in the briefing room and of course you know she's we've talked about the fact that we know biden's not making any decisions here so who is it is it susan rice is it ron Klain? is it um who is it or is it is it former president obama and of course we know biden and obama have a very close relationship which jen Psaki says she will not violate roll it We have another member of the president's jobs cabinet joining us today, Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm. I get to bring my binder too. I have a double binder stack here. I feel so um, happy for America that we have a president who wants to invest in our country and in our workers. I was standing next to the mayor of the city of China and during a demonstration, he leaned over to me and he said, so, when do you think the United States is going to get a clean energy plan? And at this point, and this was several years ago, I said, oh, I don't know, there's so much uh, polarization, it's difficult in Congress to get consensus. And he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, take your time. Is there a deadline, is there a time frame that where this turns into a pumpkin? Or you just go it alone? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to answer that, Jen. Uh, we'll a whole briefing after this. <laughs> You're the secretary. <laughs> uh, and, uh, 
around around the world. He helped uh, get uh, get uh, ban assault weapons uh, back in the 90s. He has been consistent and clear. It is imperative for any president to walk and chew gum at the same time. He is also clear-eyed oh. about the challenges. <laughs> I think the president is going to leave the analysis of what's That's viable and doable to all of you and people on the outside. Uh, it is something he promised on day one. It is day 78. What's the holdup here? There's no holdup. It just legislation needs to be reintroduced. We just lied. The, uh, addressed to a joint session of Congress. Have you figured out that or the logistics on that? What it'll look like? I can't wait till we can announce this. I, I, <laughs> I'm with you. We can all share our joy on that. We are still working through and finalizing the date, the logistics. Um, David Chipman, who for others who are not as familiar with his background, because I know there's been a Twitter about him uh, out there. But um, the uh, the president's also proposed uh, inclu included, I should say. Um, we are concerned, uh, and I expect my colleague over there will see if he has an update on those engagements today in his briefing. The president's not going to wait uh, for Congress to act to take additional executive actions. This is the beginning. And how soon does the president expect or hope to see change due to the executive action action today? Uh, change in, in what way? Yeah, Jonathan exactly. Slaw, by the way. I recognize you by your voice. In, in I can't way. see your mustache. Oh. <laughs> He has a good mustache, for anyone who doesn't know. Go ahead. I certainly have to talk to him about it, but the good news is our Secretary of Transportation is coming tomorrow to the briefing room, so it sounds like a good question somebody can ask him. Biden said that he, he would send legislation himself on day one to now, day 70, whatever it is, when your position is that Congress should do this on its own, is that right? What, what, what I don't happens? think we're saying on its own, on their own. All I'm conveying is he would certainly advocate that for that, as he did today. Uh, there is an opportunity to reintroduce legislation. We're certainly hopeful that members do that. He ruled out sending, drafting something himself, or you guys, yourselves. Well, I think uh, it's not necessary. It's not perhaps necessary. Um, uh, announcements for ambassadors were now passed March, which you had said was, was sort of one of many other administrations <laughs> These had, people. had done so, and you haven't put any, any, any big ones forward yet. Uh, I don't have an exact update. A quick circle back for oh. last week in terms of uh, the scheduling of fentanyl as Schedule 1. I'm sorry we failed to get you a good answer on it. We will venture to do that um, yeah. Next before year. May 1st is the deadline. Is that not your deadline, but yeah. the timeline. The timeline uh, the, of the of the expiration. Is that correct? It's the, the first week of May. Okay. We will check that and we will sure. venture to do a better job getting back get you with Christmas. you on that. How involved is former President Obama and First Lady Obama in the Biden-Harris administration? They are, they are not just former colleagues, I guess you call them as president and vice president, but they are also uh, remain close friends. Uh, and they talk regularly about a range of issues from policy issues to bouncing ideas off of each other to, um, to their families. Uh, so they are in close touch, but we just don't read out those specific calls. We sure. keep them private. You said they are in touch fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. Can you more clearly defined fairly regularly? No, that would be violating their friendship. Is it fair to say he is... The privacy of their friendship, I should say. Is he fairly regularly in touch with any other former president? Mm. I would say he is the president he's most frequent... Former president he's most frequently the in only. touch with. We're talking a few times a week? I'm not going to give it a more define. I'm not going to define it more, other than to say that um, they engage not just about freak important moments in our country, but also about their own families. They have a connection on a personal level, yeah. um, so they discuss a range of issues when they connect. Mm -hmm. yeah.
honest. I think that's actually pretty revealing. I'm, I think that's pretty revealing. And I think it should concern all of you. Because let's just role play here for a second. All President right. Trump's in office. And he's um, eight years older than he was, is. And he's um, 99% dumber than he is. And that would basically make him Joe Biden. And if he was talking to former President um, George W. H. W. Bush... What do you think the media would be saying about, what do you think they, they'd be calling for the 25th Amendment? They'd yeah. be saying, well, no, wait, 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 who's running the country here? We, well, I mean, it, it, it would be the headline of every newspaper. It would be the lead of every nightly news. It would be like, what's going on in this country? What's this administration hiding? Who's really making, calling the shots here? And here she is. Here she is. We have a president who's pretty much out to lunch. We see him in public. We see the struggles. We see the mental decline. It's not a joke. And I, and I don't say it lightly either. It's clear. We've heard rumors that whether it's Ron Klain, Susan Rice, or Barack Obama, who's calling the shots? And here she is saying, really, I think giving away almost more than really, sh- I think she looks back on that. Maybe she said a little more than she thought she really wanted to. Come on, man. Yeah. It because is. it seems to me that she, that his, that guy's question, well, could you define, wait a minute, hold, hold on a second. What, could you define how many times? And then all of a sudden it's a big joke. Ha ha ha, I can't. Uh, if this was, if this was anybody with an R in front of their moniker, this would be a big deal. Oh, it, it would be, it would be, you know, let's face it, Nancy Pelosi would be, Pelosi would be out there calling for impeachment. We want the phone calls. We want the transcripts. Meanwhile, back on November 30th, why does this sound familiar? Oh, that's right, because former President Barack Obama told Stephen Colbert that uh, in an interview that I used to say if I can make an arrangement where I could have a stand-in or a front man, uh, and they had an earpiece— and I would just be in the basement in my sweats looking through the stuff and I could sort of deliver the lines while someone else was doing all the talking and the ceremony. I'd be fine with that because I found the work fascinating. He was basically talking about an opportunity for a third term. Yeah. I think that's pretty revealing what she just said. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm making something out of nothing. But I can tell you this, if it was if that was Kaylee McEnany saying something to that effect, they they, <laughs> they would not be getting away with just um laughing about it and saying, Oh, I can't violate their trust. Well, their trust. Who who's making the damn decisions here? I know that Joe Biden's trying to out progressive um everybody here. That's he think he sees that as his big legacy. As Bernie Sanders told us before, he's going to be the most progressive. Uh, if, Joe, if Joe Biden does it, he's the most progressive. You know, so I know that's Joe's goal here. But uh, who's really calling the shots? I don't know. Oh, well, maybe maybe we know now. Maybe she maybe she's clued us in, and she didn't even realize she was doing it. Well, it certainly seems like it's just more than a hey, what are you doing this weekend? I tell you that. Yeah. I mean, how many how many times can they talk to each other about the family? I think they know, you know, hey, hey, how's your crackhead son there, uh, Joe? 
I mean, how many times can they talk, period? He's the president of the United States. He, I mean, doesn't he have things to do? Doesn't he have other people to talk to? He, he, I mean... Walk and chew well, gum? How about, how about just walk? Can you just walk for us, Joe? No, he can't even do that. He shuffles around. I don't know. Scary, scary stuff. All right. Anything else in the news here? Before yeah, we do, uh... I wanted to get to this story about uh, your favorite governor who, uh, you know, let's face it, he's David thinking Perone? about... <laughs> no, the other guy. The guy in um, New York. The fat guy in Chicago in Illinois. Nope, no. not that guy. Um the recalled guy in California. No. Nope. nope. Not um him. the pervert in New York? Uh yeah, talking oh. about him. Ah. Okay. Uh oh, I lost the story. Darn it. Here it lost is. Lost the story? Yeah, well, I have a couple tabs open. Uh one of them's playing music just like Joe Biden. Uh New York is going to pay, and I don't know if you've heard this yet, uh, but our tax dollars are gonna pay undocumented immigrants an incredible amount of money because they didn't work during the pandemic. Well, yeah, I did hear it because you just said we just talked about it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, New York is, you're supposed to play with me. Uh, New York is going on one time, they're going to offer one time payments. Check this out of $15,600 to undocumented immigrants who lost work during the pandemic. Um, meanwhile, most Americans got, uh, well, even New Yorkers got 1400 bucks, according to the New York Times. Uh, according to them, undocumented workers could receive up to $15,600, uh, the equivalent of 300 per week for the last year if they can verify that they were state residents ineligible for federal unemployment benefits and lost income as a result of the pandemic. They could, go, uh, they could get far more than some Americans got from the government through stimulus payments. Remember, Americans got 1,400. Illegal aliens in New York State could get $15,600. Not surprisingly, this has infuriated people, people from both sides of the aisle, actually. And it's making people wondering, it's like, well, wait, what about us? We live here. We pay taxes. It's flipping folks that are also Democrats saying, look, uh, Flo, says, I guess I'm voting Republican next state election, first time in my life. So. I mean, just on its face, I don't know all the minutiae of it, but just on its face, how could it not make you irate? Yeah. Again, I don't care where you fall politically. All right, more sports. We'll wrap it up on a Thursday night. Real America's Voice, live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in. All right, 13 till the hour, live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in on a Thursday night. It's time to do a little more sports. And here with that is Rick Emirati at Slick Rick Sports on Twitter. What's going on, pal? Hey, Big D. All right, just a couple of finals in Major League Baseball. Speaking of that Atlanta Braves uh, All-Star game that we're going to have the president go down to. What a great suggestion during the uh, the, fa- the the time in between, Big D, the uh, social media time. I like that idea. Big D has suggested that the president, well, 45, has an All-Star game at the uh, Tuesday night, I've actually host a rally there during the uh, game in Colorado. That would be great. Cut right into their ratings. I mean, I, other people. I mean, it's not a big oh. original idea of mine. I mean, okay. I've, I've, obviously, other people have. First, I've heard as of well, it. Well, but I do think it's a good idea. Yeah. Love it. 
Um, credit where credit's due. Whoever came up with that, I love it. So right now, top, uh, actually final, the White Sox over the Royals, six to nothing. Angels and Blue Jays tied at five in the bottom of the seventh. And the A's uh, right now trail the Astros, two nothing. That's in the fifth. NBA action, wrapping them down, winding down, 115-108, Bulls over the Raptors. Uh, Pascal Siakam with 27 to lead the Raptors in all scorers. Heat over the Lakers, 83-80, to that's in the fourth. Cavs over the Thunder, 91-74, end of the third. Bucks early uh, second, 36-33 over the Mavs. NHL action, uh, Penguins over the Rangers, that's a final 5-2. to two. Oh, Paul's having fun. They're at a shootout right now. It's 2-2. I, I, last I checked, the game went all the way to a shootout. They went for five minutes OT. Flyers and Islanders, 2-2. In, in Actually, Rick, uh, Paul just texted me. He said, don't, don't let Rick talk about the Islanders. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh. His, oh, boy. Ne- his next text could be, come bail me out. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, and uh, Devils over the Sabres, 6-3 final. Jets over the Canadians, 4-2 also final. Lightning over the Blue Jackets, 6-3. That's in the third. Oilers, 3-1 over the Senators. That's a final. Predators, 3-1 over the Ra- uh, Red Wings in the third. And the uh, Dallas Stars, 4-1 over the Chicago Blackhawks. End of second. And, uh, well, Big D, I think you might have been onto something in last night's conversation about Mr. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods had unlabeled pill bottle in SUV car crash, was somewhat combative as well. This is for, from Tamar Lappin of New York Post Sports. An empty unlabeled pill bottle was found near Tiger Woods' wrecked SUV, and the pro golfer was somewhat combative when first responders tried to treat him at the scene of his high-speed crash, according to a newly released police report. The 22-page report obtained by TMZ said Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies found an empty plastic pharmaceutical container in the front pocket of a backpack resting in the brush close to Wood's car. The container had no label and there was no indication as to what, if anything, had been inside the report states. Surveillance video from the five-star Terranea Resort taken the morning of the crash showed Woods wearing a backpack and pulling a suitcase near the front desk, the report said. No alcohol, drugs, or paraphernalia were found inside the lone 2021 Genesis GV80 Woods was driving when he crashed February 23rd in Rolling Hills Estates outside of L.A. There was no smell of booze and Woods' eyes were not bloodshot or watery, according to police. When EMTs tried to uh, free him from the wreckage, Woods, 45, was somewhat combative and so disoriented, he thought he was in Florida, where he lives, rather than Southern California, the report said. Captain Levesque told me that Woods was somewhat combative when they were trying to treat him on the scene, the detective wrote in the report. So, you know, there's a lot of conflicting reports, D, and there might be more to the story. Not sure if we're ever going to find out what, if anything, was in that bottle and or if it was taken, but there's just definitely more to this Tiger Woods story than we're getting. So far. Mm. So we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, I, I, I don't think you have to, I mean, <laughs> I don't think you have to be a genius to figure that out. I yeah. mean, it was clear to me last night when you were reporting on what was first released that I, I find it hard to believe that this is just a matter of going too fast. Yeah. I, I just do. People wrote me emails last night when I got back. Yeah. Why could you? Why are you attacking? I'm not attacking. I love Tiger. I'm just saying. Yeah, we all do. I'm just saying the report did not seem to ring true to me. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just giving you my true, honest thoughts at the time. I just, I just thought, uh, I don't know. And remember, the uh, police on the scene refused to uh, do any tests. Right. Right. They didn't want to do a drug test, alcohol test, none of that. They're yeah. just like, nope, we're good. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, yeah, I'm sorry, Rick. No, go ahead. On the, on, and on this, sta- you know, on, on this crew here, 
none of us will, nobody will be more happy than us to see Tiger Woods come back and play again. We'll all have a tear in our eye and be rooting for him. So I hope, and I hope he does come back, but it's going to be a long road. But if anybody could do it, it could be Mr. Woods. Uh, and listen, great story. Florida's Medal of Freedom goes to FSU great Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden, 91, is one of college football's winningest coaches. This is a Fox News AP report earlier today. Bobby Bowden, the former Florida State coach who led the Seminoles to two national titles, received the inaugural Florida Medal of Freedom at a ceremony Wednesday hosted by Governor Ron DeSantis. I appreciate you giving me this honor. I will cherish it the rest of my life, Bowden said, after the governor and other speakers hailed him for his work, not only as a coach, but as a mentor to the hundreds of young men he assembled for his teams. The state's Medal of Freedom recognizes any person who made an especially meritorious contribution to the interests and citizens of the state and culture, public and private endeavors. So he got a great medal from a great governor for a great guy. Excellent. Congratulations. And uh, MMA great Demetrius Johnson knocked out in one championship title fight. Johnson had been a star in UFC before switching promotions. This is from Ryan Gatos of Fox News Sports. Demetrius Johnson suffered a shocking knockout loss in the second round of his one championship flyweight title against Adriana Moraes last night in Singapore. Johnson is considered to be one of the best mixed martial arts fighters in any company, but he appeared to be taken by surprise when Moraes delivered a knee to his face more than two minutes into the second round. Johnson was on the ground when he took the knee, fell backwards, and Moraes capitalized for the win. Aired on TNT, it was the first televised event for the Asian-based mixed martial arts promotion in the U.S. Johnson came into the fight with 30 career wins. Uh, he had been the flyweight champion in the UFC before he joined one. During his stretch as champion, he would defend his belt 11 times between 2013 and 2018. So that was a bit of a, a shock, and uh, that was a fight I actually missed. The, that fell right under my radar. I didn't even know it was going to be on. I did not either. Demetrius... Um... He was almost unbeatable in the UFC. Yep. It's amazing the UFC, though, kind of does know. It seems like the UFC has a very good pulse on when guys have kind of reached their, you know. Peak. Yeah, when it's kind of they're on the other side of the hill. Because I was surprised when they let him go. Yeah. I think he's lost two of his last three fights since he left there. Yep. Yeah, that was... I guess he found a new home, but he said, he said, these things happen. He is getting old. He's been in the game a long time. He's got to go back to the drawing board. I think he'll be back, actually. He said he wants to come back. Uh, and just one more story. I want to get to this. I, I'm going to have to kind of paraphrase, uh, but this is from the uh, prominent South Carolina doctor, uh, one of five people, including two children, who was allegedly killed by a former NFL player late yesterday. Uh, he wrote a powerful message just months ago uh, after his hopes, uh, about his hopes for when he reaches heaven. It's very ironic. Um, this is from Stephanie Pagonis of Fox News. Robert Leslie from Dr. Leslie's website administrator. This was actually something posted on his website a few months ago. As many of you know, Dr. Dr. Leslie passed into glory yesterday. Here are a few words that he recently wrote in December of 2020. One day when I depart this body and find myself in the presence of the Lord, my time, however it will be measured, will be filled with the praises and the wonders of Jesus. I know that I will once again be able to hug my mother and walk and talk with my father. There are a lot of people I want to see as well, family and friends, grandparents, some of whom I never met on this side. And I will seek out Peter and John and the Apostle Paul, as well as other uh, giants of the faith. Obviously, the doctor was a very religious man. Um, but um, the way that, you know, he, he wanted to talk on a little bit about heaven, and then he talked about his dog, Doxy, uh, that he uh, says that uh, uh, the words of Jesus will echo through that glade uh, that he's going to see in paradise, and behold, I make all things new, and, and there will come Dox charging towards us, his ears flapping in the breeze, his golden hair and majestic tail waving in the wind, and both of his, la his laughing, dancing eyes meeting ours. I mean, him and his 
his wife. Uh, this was his dog that actually passed away also earlier last year. So it kind of hit me in the heart a little bit. This doctor seemed like a very good man, and uh, what a tragedy. And I'm so sorry about that. And that's a wrap in sports, Big D. Okay, very good, Rick. Thanks. Um, we will see you tomorrow night. Wrap up the week. Good Friday night show. Thanks to Ben Berkwam tonight. Great stuff at the border. Stay safe, Ben. Uh, thanks uh, to everybody on the show. We salute, of course, our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to Real America's Voice. Most of all, though, thanks to you, the just fantastic live from Studio 6B audience. We will see you tomorrow night to wrap it up. Same crew, same time tomorrow night. We'll see you then.